I need to have this out with you on the podcast because <laughs> I was coming up my stairs from the end of my run, just oh, writing, ba 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 ba, run 20. <laughs> Rhiannon cannot work Strava, and the title of each of her runs makes absolutely no sense and completely <laughs> pointless. She labels the weak number. I don't know what the weak numbers mean because they're not correlated <laughs> to anything. And the number of the run, she just either does the same number like two or three times in a row or just misses out complete gaps. It makes no sense. <laughs> Basically, Ellie's all about the detail. And even as I was publishing it, I was like, I'm just going to put it. I know it's wrong. I can't be bothered to check. And I know she's going to say something. I got in and like five minutes later, what is going on with your Strava? It makes me so angry. <laughs> it does. Oh. Tiny bit of precision. I actually Googled it earlier because I think according to Strava, it's week 16 or hmm. maybe more. And actually yeah, and it was like the 12. beginning of February. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> also, you're always about the why. What's the purpose of this? Why are people doing this? Why are you labelling them that? <laughs> <laughs> because it, you did it once and it looked really good. <laughs> and I don't have the competence to do that week on week. Because sometimes I'll do two runs in a week and then I get confused. What does like? Just look at the I one did... before, before you name it. Yeah, but... <laughs> I... I can't keep up with myself. That's my problem. I'm too too active for my own. <laughs> too many runs. <laughs> it just looked really good. You did the hashtag, you did everything. But like, yeah, it um I've got a bit lost. My last one was don't know what week, don't know what number. <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. Yeah. This podcast is all about bright ideas that are changing the world and this episode's no different but today we're going to be talking about books and the title of this episode is Are We On The Same Page? Whoa! Mm. We are on a roll with these titles even if I say so myself. <laughs> Just because you thought of them. <laughs> Only the last two. <laughs> This episode is all about innovation in the reading space to do with books. You'll honestly be amazed by the ideas in this space and we're going to cover it across two key themes. One, discovering new books, particularly underrepresented authors. And secondly, innovation in terms of using content of the book to solve a problem in a new way and actually bridge a gap in a way that's not been done before. Nice. So... Innovation means solving a meaningful problem and actually solving it logically. Yeah. This podcast is all about innovation. That doesn't mean it limits us to science or technology. Innovation is, at its core, solving it in a way that makes sense and actually solves the problem. Not like, I don't know if you heard of them way back when, spaghetti forks. Not needed. No. Actually made eating the spaghetti a lot more difficult. It was, a, <laughs> it was a fork with a battery in it and it was a machine and then the fork would just spin. Oh, twizzle it. Twizzle it. And it was, mm. I was thinking about innovation and what we were doing the other day. And I was thinking the, 
that is an example of innovation you didn't need. It didn't yeah. solve a meaningful problem. Nothing yeah. against spaghetti forks. We can twist our own forks. <laughs> yeah, there is amazing innovation in the books space. Yeah, So definitely. do not underestimate the power of a pen to papier. Ooh. And... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever walked into a bookshop and been tired of seeing the same authors and books? Have you scoured the internet looking for what to read next? Perhaps you felt aware that your book list is lacking in diversity, or perhaps you haven't even considered this. I have been there and I've wanted to read stuff that's genuinely like thought provoking, new perspective, challenging and... To be honest, sometimes when I'm looking for these books, I don't even know where to start. And yeah. I want something that will leave a lasting impression. You know those ones where you, you know, you leave thinking, oh. Yeah, when you realise, oh, I hadn't thought about it in that way before. Exactly. And this applies to looking for books, but it applies to education too. Did you know that out of the 16 available texts on the GCSE curriculum, only one is written by a woman? Yeah, that is shocking, isn't it? Yeah, and the reality is that this spans so many factors, including race, sexuality, gender and disability and many more. And we've got a long way to go. But there are ideas that are helping to change this. And today we're going to highlight a few of them. Books That Matter and Brave Girls Book Club, which are subscription boxes that you can get delivered to your door. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So today, the day we're recording is International Women's Day. And the theme of International Women's Day this year is to choose to challenge. So we challenge you to read something from an amazing new perspective. Perhaps one of the ideas we mentioned today or something that you haven't looked into before. And I'll hand over to you to talk about Brave Girls Book Club and Books That Matter. Yeah, so the Books That Matter is a feminist subscription box and Brave Girls Book Club is um, targeting young girls because, as we said before, there's that lack of female authors in the curriculum. And I actually got this box for Rianne for Christmas and I've got my sister it as well before. So Books That Matter started because the founder was empowered, inspired and transported by texts that she was reading on her literature course at university She'd been exposed to so many female authors, but got really angry because she realised that a huge proportion of women that didn't have that opportunity to be at university like her weren't getting the same cultural education as she was. So that's what inspired her to set up Books That Matter. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it was a lovely present. Ellie got it for me for Christmas. And oh, I got yeah. Greta Thunberg's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greta Thunberg's book. I got... The Inland Sea by Madeline Watts, which I'm reading Have right you read now. That now? Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> really interesting. I'm about a third in. And I also got a notepad, bookmarks, face mask, all by um, female founded businesses as well. So it was like just a really, really lovely box. Um, yeah. And I read something that I wouldn't have usually read, which was great. Nice. And each month they have a different theme. So that's quite Mm. cool as well. Yeah. 
I think this is just great because these book sub subscriptions highlight a range of books and there is so much to know. There are many brilliant authors, but it's just not surfaced, not talked about, and therefore these authors and these stories are not supported. So these subscription boxes are changing this by putting diverse writing at the forefront and hand-picking books that have a better representation of the society that we live in. Yeah, books that matter. I also quite Ooh. like that you don't have to choose your own book. Someone just does it for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's good, though, because it is a great way to inspire people, having those positive role models and having that newfound knowledge that they surface. And what I really liked was actually just before this, I was watching the Harry Meghan interview. And in oh, that, yeah. she was saying... You've got to see it to be it was something that she referenced with when she, her her child was reading a book before bed. And oh, she yeah. was talking as well about... Oh, yeah, she did say that. Yeah, <laughs> and this is the same for these books is when people see themselves represented in what they read and what they see, really powerful things can happen. It does make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. You can do anything if you believe that you can. In our next feature, we're going to be talking to Charlie. Disability in general is a taboo because we don't talk about it and because we don't really know much about it. Charlie sets the change this through her books. And here's what she had to say. So today we're joined by Charlie, who is an author and illustrator of an upcoming series of illustrated children's books. The books are centred around diversity and inclusion and specifically with regards to disabilities. And the reason for this is because there's a huge gap in terms of what non-disabled people know about disability and the impact that has is massive, which we're going to talk about today. So Charlie is seeking to bridge that education gap. So, hey, Charlie. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I can't believe you're so articulate. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could say it like that. People are like, what do you do? I'm like, um, I'm just going to call Rhiannon because she said it perfectly the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking what you said last time and pretending it's my own words. <laughs> um, so what we wanted to start with was by asking you, and knowing a bit more about you, what is your favourite children's book? Uh, I would say it would be El Defo by an author called C.C. Bell. Mm. And it's actually a graphic novel, but it's kind of a um, like a memoir of C.C.'s early childhood and how she came to terms with being deaf. But it's honestly so funny. It's it's really, really well done. It, it like transcend, transcends any particular age. It's very, very enjoyable. And actually, my I lent it to my sister, and she's going to read it soon because I I was reading it when I was at home recently, and she could hear me through the wall cracking up laughing. Like, so it's oh. it's really, really um, <laughs> encapturing. It's a very good book. Oh, that's cool. great. But it would be great if you can tell us a bit about you first of all and what you do and kind of your story so how I came to be here to be honest is like it's quite a uh quite a journey so I actually didn't have a school education at all I was taken out of school when I was 10 years old to pursue being an athlete oh, wow. um what sport yeah so uh, show jumping cool so I did that until I was 18 and then I, w I was just like it's a lot you know especially on a young person and that's all I'd ever known. That was pretty much what my life was set up to be. And so by the time that I stopped, I was 
I had this kind mm. of fear build, building up in me, like, what am I going to do now? Like, what am I going to do next? Because I kind of, being what I was kind of told I had to be for so long wasn't it for me. And actually, like, you can just go and get it if you want it. So I enrolled at college um, and started my art and design career, really, from the age of 19. Oh, yeah. wow. So, mm. so yeah, then I, I put myself through university and then I started working as a conceptual installation designer. And now that's kind of transcended to literal storytelling. So it's actually like, even though it seems like writing and, desi- and illustrating books for children seems like so, so, so far away from conceptual installation designing <laughs> and sculpture, it's actually very similar because mm-hmm. it's all about communicating and telling a story. Honestly, I just feel like so lucky that we've been able to get this time with you I'd really like to understand like why is this specifically important to you to talk about this this issue where where is it kind of come from in you I guess do you know I was thinking about that earlier and I was like this is so bizarre because all of the other questions when I went through them it's like yeah 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 like I know the answers because this is like I believe in it with every fiber of my being Mm. and then that one I was like how do I need to how can I articulate how I feel about it And then I realised it's so obvious, I couldn't even work out how to say it. And that is that equality should be a non-negotiable, an absolute non-negotiable in every single way, from everyone's walk of life, from everyone's background. Equality is a non-negotiable. And yet this, I mean, I know that in the world we're facing so many other issues, but ableism is a completely underrated one that we we've built our whole our society is just sails on through and commits acts of ableism every single day and it's completely not okay and that's that's why it's so important to me it's obvious but it's not talked about at all Mm. so and that's it like and we we can't do better until we know better it's how we take in all that information is by making shortcuts that then leads to unconscious biases yes. but often when they're unconscious they are like just baked into our brain but the thing i kind of liked that you mentioned last time was to do with when people communicate with people who are mm-hmm. deaf or hard of hearing mm-hmm. i wondered if you could take us through that and how people can sometimes overcompensate just through lack of knowing exactly it's all through lack of knowing so actually this and this is another reason why you should read the book by cc bell el defo because she explained explains all of this is that for her her journey and and for a lot of people who are severely profoundly deaf they have to learn new skills so new skills can be learning sign language some people don't like to learn sign language at all but they have to learn lip reading and when you're lip reading it's very hard to do when someone is because they know you're deaf shouting and over accentuating their mouth like yeah. this, they literally can't understand what you're saying. And now they're just looking at you like, okay, so now you're actually making it harder for me. But the reason that that person is doing that is because they're trying to come from a good place. They're actually, they're like, oh, mm. uh, I need to make it even clearer what I'm saying. This is all just a lack of education. This is nobody coming from a bad place mm. whatsoever. You know, if we did just, yeah. if we just didn't have this stigma towards somebody for being different, just because they can't hear, we wouldn't maybe feel so nervous so that we have to shout the words even though they're completely deaf 
and over accentuate our mouths and like how we behave in around them like extra nice and all of these things that we do kind of out of nerves and we're trying to help and we're trying to be nice but again it's like you're just you're segregating somebody even more because this person is a completely normal person and they're just all they're trying to do is lip read yeah I think that's so interesting what you said about lack of education because obviously at school you don't get taught anything about any of this or how to help or not help people or what people with disabilities want to be treated like they want to be treated normally like they want to be asked yeah do you need help rather than you assume yeah Yeah. exactly it's spot on so for a deaf person or for a person with any disorder or disability they're born with it then that's their life that's all they've known so that's their that's their normality you know Uh, and it is again it is normal Mm. um the lady who is the leader of the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, said herself that it's very likely that all of us will experience either permanent disabilities or temporary disabilities in our lives. But if, say, for example, you have an accident or just over time, or maybe you've had measles and you lose your eyesight or whatever, you eventually lose your hearing, you have to you have to learn new skills and you have to adapt to the whole world around you, which is now suddenly you're looking, mm. you're looking through a veil, a world that you were completely accepted in once and a year ago, maybe yeah. a year later, you lose your hearing. And now you're completely cut off from everybody. And why, why? If there's no reason for it, if we were just taught at schools, oh, this is a deaf person, you just speak normally because they're going to lip read you. Or while we're speaking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, I'm very much um, expressive with my hands and why can't I be signing while I'm speaking? Why can't I? Why couldn't I have learned yeah. that at primary school when you are such a sponge? Why? Because then we, we could accommodate for so many people. And again, that's just when you know better, you do better. And then a person who's deaf doesn't even necessarily need to lip read anymore because we're signing to each other while we're speaking. And also, it's not just that learning sign language and being more open-minded in this way would be useful for the deaf community because it's not it's actually that people children with cerebral palsy find it very comforting and very um useful to learn sign language so that people can sign with them and they can sign back if they can't speak so it's really not even if you have a hearing impairment it's actually very useful for everybody yeah another thing Mm. i got taught once when like communicating with deaf people is a lot of people, we would naturally approach someone talking as you come up behind them and then maybe, like, touch them or something. But to them, they haven't heard you coming. Yeah. So they're like, why are you touching me? You need to... Yeah, exactly. ...approach them so they can yeah, exactly. see you coming. Like, personally, if if anybody touches me mm. other than people that I'm very close to, I really don't like it. So can you imagine if someone's talking like you have no prior warning whatsoever and then you have someone's hand on or or you have someone just come out of nowhere and they're kind of in your face talking at you like I can't imagine how overwhelming that could and and imagine that Mm. is kind of like that could be like something weekly that could happen to you that that to be honest with you that sounds horrendous if we were just like taught differently just from a younger age we could eradicate so many of these silly little issues that actually become very harmful in, in the long run. I can't remember when there was like a certain point when it dawned on me, but I think I kind of went down this rabbit hole of, and I, I knew I wanted to, I'm very like passionate about, I mean, aren't we all, we should all be about LGBTQ rights. And I was thinking like, wait, are there any books for children with these sort of themes? 
And then I, I think it was then I started researching. I remember I was talking to my sister. I was like, I'm not finding much, mm. you know, like at all. And then I carried on and, and my sister was like, well, if you're looking oh, at that, why okay. don't you look at mm. like children's books for people with disabilities and things as well? Like what's going on there? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to look. And I'm looking and I'm looking and there is not much. Yeah. Like there's very, very, very really? little. Yeah. There's very little representation. And so from there, I was just like, well, I had a chat with my family and they were like, well, I, I'd been doing some tattoo designing just literally as a hobby for years. And um, my dad was like, well, why don't you try and soften it up a bit, use some colors and see if you can make this maybe more for children and see see if you could maybe do a kid's book or something. And I was oh. like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in myself enough that I could do that. Is that really like, is that really what I want to do? I don't know. And then I was thinking and I was like, yeah, like, well, why not? Like, I, I, I'm now like so, I'm so, angry now about this situation and I'm so upset why don't I actually do something about it rather than complaining observing it and doing nothing wow so is it your dad's idea to begin with then had you even considered doing the actual books before that no my dad he'll he'll like pick something out the air and he doesn't even realize what he said and I'm like what do you say over there <laughs> I didn't even think about doing that yeah so no he's he's pretty woke he comes up with lots of good ideas but uh, so tell us about the books this book that I've finished um that I'm currently sending to publishers is about a fox and a fawn which is a baby male deer and they're basically these characters are representing different disabilities and disorders but I'm not I'm not going to openly claim that which one is which, etc. Because autism and trisomy twenty one is is very different for different people, and it's oh, unfair okay. of me to try and summarize the whole of autism and the whole of trisomy twenty one, which is commonly known as Down syndrome, in two characters. You know, it, it's 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 impossible to do that. Yeah, you can't generalize it. I I would not have done any of this if I wasn't working with people who had these disabilities and disorders to help me create the characters in the first place because it's just true it's just truly not my place to say it's not my place to speak for anybody and I've been educated through working with them and Mm. that's how I came up with each character and each character went through such a long process for me to select three traits for them just to help guide their story because the thing is is that the books are for children between four to six so you can't be too hefty on them like it has to be there has to be a line you know where it's not too overwhelming for anybody and for example like some of the the themes in the story actually touch on something that you said a minute ago Ellie which is for example if you come up behind a deaf person and you touch them and you can you continue having a conversation but you're all of a sudden in front of them they they've missed half of what you said and all of a sudden there's a person there which is something that's actually in the book is one of the scenes actually where this happens there's themes of like self-acceptance overcoming things on your own basically normalizing these disorders and disabilities because they are normal yeah (laughs) yeah and basically it's uh, the first book will introduce all of the characters and then following that there'll be a story per each character yeah, and it's just basically about what I want to do is giving children a chance to put themselves, regardless of if they're able-bodied or whatever, to be able to put themselves in the mind frame of the character yeah. and just 
realize how normal these these things are like this character may be driven for example the fox is driven by the fact that he can be a bit aloof he's very energetic he's very intelligent but he finds it hard to focus but that doesn't just mean mm. it's autism that could be any child yeah i mean mm. i was like that when i was a kid i couldn't focus you know so and i could be a bit aloof and a bit shy so it's about like regardless of what your label is it's like well this could be you this this is how normal it is you know yeah so that people can still relate to it yeah exactly and trying to like just trying to remove some of the stigma because the thing is it's like internalized stigmas towards ableism is is no joke this is something that we're brought up with from being children. So if they have material as of a child that is just displaying absolute equality and inclusion, then hopefully that will transcend into a more inclusive society. Yeah, they become like embedded in your behaviour. Whoever it gets published by, because I, I really hope this does get published, whoever gets published by will be very lucky to have this. I feel really lucky that we get to hear about this before it's even out there you know like we are right at the the beginning i don't know about you ellie do you feel the same yeah i mean kind of opened my eyes to this topic oh thanks girls oh and i wanted to say as well that your illustrations i mean i've seen them on instagram i'm hoping if you'll let us we can share (laughs) some when this episode comes out on ours as well yes they are incredible like i just watched them (laughs) thank you so much i'd love to know as well like how can people support you so people listening are probably thinking like I want okay. the book. <laughs> when, when this book is out, I want it, yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, how can people support you and what you do? The number one way you can support me at the moment is by going and signing a petition that's been started by Jade Kilduff to get sign language mandatory in schools. Oh, wow. So, however, if it's something a bit more personal to me, then it would be following my Instagram. And that's literary.phoenix yeah. on Instagram. Uh, so thanks so much for chatting to us today, Charlie. It's been fascinating to hear about your books and we also wish you great success. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. And that was Charlie. It will be so good to have a really accessible resource that people can dip into and, like Charlie said, put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Now it's time for Note to Self. Each week we feature a Note to Self, which is a simple action that you can apply in 30 seconds flat. And this week is no different. It is Big Data Girl book. How do you feel about Big Data, I guess? Oh, I actually got an example because the other day we were getting like ham and stuff for um, my parents and I made my sister pay for it separately because I didn't want the evidence on my credit card that I'd paid for meat because I was worried about what they would do with my data. (laughs) But then do have an Alexa, so not that concerned, you know? (laughs) yeah (laughs) and how this idea came about is author fred wordy noticed a contradiction almost like a juxtaposition in the views of his parents on the topic of data and i think it basically reflects what we were just talking about in that his mum reflected that side of us that is quite fearful of data and she was thinking things like is facebook listening in And in contrast, his dad almost had an implicit trust in the policies in place to protect us, expressing a more relaxed approach of, oh, it's fine, probably how we feel when we're thinking about our Alexas listening in. Yeah, because you do think, even if they have got my data, like, why do they care about what I'm doing? Like, it's (laughs) just going to go into a massive database, like... Well, the reality is there is a gap. And when this gap can be harmful is when these views are based on lack of information. 
Yeah. And what this book... Which basically everyone's is. It's a really inaccessible topic. It's really hard to talk about and there aren't ways to learn about it in an easy way, despite the fact that everybody needs to know about it. And so Fred wrote this book in order to actually give people the information to make an informed decision about how they feel about big data rather than fearing it for not knowing or trusting it because they assumed somebody else would look off, you know, would have thought about it for them. Yeah. And that's why, and the reality is that there is so much information out there about big data, but it's overwhelming. No one enjoys reading (laughs) (laughs) papers and papers. So that's why I really like big data girl. It's aimed at all ages, children to adults. I also love it because it was originally a Kickstarter project, which you know, I've got a soft spot for. (laughs) Um, And you can still find them via Kickstarter, but you can also buy a copy of the ebook or the- a hard copy via the website just by searching Big Data Girl. Nice. So is it out now? Is it out at the moment? It's out. Mm. Yep, you can buy it now, bigdatagirl.com and you can get the e-book for £5. Oh, ideal. Thanks for listening. You can check out all of the ideas that we talked about in our show notes.